Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. I'm Eric, discipleship pastor here at New Life Lutheran Church. Today we're going to be exploring life together, why we gather together in large and small groups, and the importance of community. Thank you so much for listening in. Hope you enjoy it. Check us out at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also see our church website at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Hey guys, my name is Tim Thompson, like Pastor Eric said, and I am excited to explore this with you guys today and talk through some of these things. So hopefully we can get some of this stuff figured out. This is Pastor Ben. This is my first podcast experience besides listening, so I'm looking forward to uh, using it as a great tool for our community. This is a a way that I have learned and grown throughout my life, and uh, so hopefully it will offer you something as well. All right. Thanks, guys. So we're going to just jump right in. Let's talk about life together as Christians. Why, Why do we get together? Why do we gather in small groups, big groups? Why do we do that? So it offers a sense of community. And community is super important because when you find accountability in community, you can build relationships in community. And there's a huge difference in between. So, for example, uh, when I first got to Sterling, uh, the Sauk Valley area, I noticed that it was not just a town, but it was even more so a community. And what that means is people knew each other. Like you'd walk outside and you would notice uh, you'd see the same people kind of over and over having a community is so important um, in that in that regard just to see friendly faces to hold you accountable and to share your life experience with those people yeah this is something we talk about in our journey classes for everyone who goes through our membership program here at new life but I always ask the question why church you know you think about uh, salvation or you think about uh, even the modern setting that a lot of brick and mortar buildings are going away Sears has gone away. JC Penney has gone away uh, because most everything you can order online and church is kind of the same way. You can listen to sermons online and music online, and you can digest a lot of things online, much like you are digesting this right now. But the part you can't, you can't get anywhere else beyond the sacraments is that community. And we're told in the book of Acts that the disciples dedicate them to an, themselves to a number of things And one of them, outside of the realm of your typical church thought process, besides studying and prayer and things like that, is they devote themselves to the fellowship. And so the community, the having real conversations and sharing life and really caring for each other, which of course is impossible in the individual setting. And even in the book of Hebrews, we see that there's a warning for people to not disassociate from the community, but to stay plugged in. And that's a benefit for them. It's a benefit for us to have each other, to keep each other accountable, to move each other forward in the face. So if you disconnect from the community, I think you miss out on really a majority of what what Christ has to offer you in the setting and really what the church has to offer you in general. Yeah, I think that, you know, because you hear a lot of people, I don't know, maybe using this excuse if it is an excuse, but um, this idea that I just need me, it just needs to be me and Jesus, right? Or my Bible and Jesus. Right. And, and it's like, I'm not sure where that came from or who who started that. But I even remember hearing Christian authors and speakers begin to go public with, you know, statements like, well, I don't even go to church anymore. 
I just spend time with God with me and my family. And so I know that that's like a big thing right now is that people kind of use that. And half the time, I think it's just an excuse. You know, they feel bad for not going to church and then they just say that or they, you know, they're like, I'm a bed, I'm a bedside Baptist or whatever, you know? Yeah. With Reverend pillow. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Deacon sheets and all that good stuff. Yeah. And no other part of life do we talk about that. Like we're, we're not like, hey, I have a great family life because I don't ever talk to my family or, oh, I, you know, my parents and I have a great relationship and we just never interact ever. So I just don't mm-hmm. even quite understand that whole thing anyway. Yeah, it is weird that you say that. I think a lot of it is also uh, being comfortable uh, because, you know, not having to get up and physically go somewhere, it's much easier for me to just stay in bed and to listen to church services online, as Ben was stating earlier, or just to quote unquote, do your own thing and it just be you and Jesus. But, uh, you know, we've already stated that you miss out on a large portion of what Christ is offering you when you don't embrace that community. Yeah, there's something also to the effect of when Christians segment their salvation story. And they say, I was baptized, or I believed, or I had this conversion experience at camp, whatever that might be. And so they view themselves as set. Their their checkbox for the next life is punched. And, and there's some truth to that. But the reality is that, that Christ came to give life and life abundantly, which means that life is far more significant than just the next life, but it bleeds into the present. I think, unfortunately, some people think, well, I have my my box checked. I'm good to go. If I die, I know where I'm going, and that's what I'm worried about. And so everything beyond that is not as significant. Uh, But the reality is Jesus came to the earth to show us how to live. And if all he wanted to do was to allow us to check a box and say we're good, he could have come as an adult. He could have made his first steps to the cross got up on the cross, paid the ultimate sacrifice, been the perfect sacrifice, and rose from the dead, and had no childhood, had no teenage years, had no young adulthood, but he chose to live. And the reason he did that was so that we could see how to live life. So there's so much more that I think people miss out on, is that once they think they have the box checked, hey, I'm good for heaven, they miss out on this whole life. I think, unfortunately, that just is a a really sad thing in our in our church world in general in America and probably the rest of the world is that people view that as a segmented thing and they get disconnected from this reality realizing how important this life is because ultimately that community helps them grow but also it moves them forward it challenges them and it helps them really accomplish something significant in this world so you're you think it like that it's a comp part you think part of it is a compartmentalization problem where they're like okay Jesus came, he died on the cross, he paid my sins, my box is checked, my ticket's pressed, I'm going to heaven, that's done. And then that has no little or no impact to my day-to-day existence. Yeah, we see it all the time. I mean, in the church world, we joke about it. Uh, it's it's really kind of sad, It's is that we joke and we call people who, who step in for Easter and Christmas, Christers, right? And we, and we love Christers. Yes. And we love that they come to church and give us an option to influence them. But the reality is they're only allowing us to influence them and the word to influence them once or twice a year. And like Tim says, if you did that in any other realm of your life, you know that that's not doing much for you. If I go and run a mile twice a year, am I really in shape? No, I just struggled through a mile twice a year and I didn't really get what I needed out of it. And I think, unfortunately, people have that idea where they've just segmented their life. Hey, I, I punched my ticket. I'm good for the next life. And so I'm just going to step in 
occasionally check in, but they don't ever really get that abundant life and they really don't make the impact that God has for them. Yeah, I think um, the issue there is they just don't have any vision or any understanding or imagination of God impacting those day-to-day moments and especially not impacting their community. We know that even from the beginning, God designed humans to be together and to be in community. He created humans, male and female. And when he saw that man was alone, when he saw that the man was by himself, he saw that it was not good and that he made made the woman for the man so that they could be partners in cultivating the garden and taking care of the earth. And then, in fact, in Genesis 1, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so this like image that we get right at the beginning, the very first command that God gives humans is to be fruitful and multiply and then have dominion over the world, have dominion over the animals. And this idea of humans being sub-rulers, that God is Lord of all, and then he created humans to, to go out and to rule in his place. Humans are supposed to multiply and create families and neighborhoods and communities and societies and cities right so like that's all part of god's intention was that humans multiply and then actually create a space where they have rule over the earth and then when we refuse community or when we take god out of that context we just make it about our spiritual life and we totally remove god from every other part of our existence one of the things i think is funny in church world is we rub up against each other just like in real life right you you have certain people that irritate you a little bit more than others, certain people that you avoid because you know that it never really goes well when you communicate with them or interact with them. And and when I hear people say things like, maybe our church is too big because someone came into the community that they don't get along with, or they say things like that, I think, well, enjoy heaven. Yeah, I mean, literally right. every Christian that you've ever interacted with is going to be in that space. And that's the ultimate connection to community. We see in the garden, Adam was connected with God, then Eve was there, and they were in perfect communion with God. They interacted with God, they walked with God, they talked with God. Uh, That was broken. And now our connections to each other is reflection of our relationship with God. In fact, in that many times in scripture, the marriage relationship is shown to be a reflection of our relationship with God, where he is the groom and we are the bride, and we have brides and grooms in this world where we kind of live out that that metaphor on this planet. But the funny thing, like I said, is people get worked up about each other. They don't forgive each other. They break that community or they try to isolate themselves because that's easier. But the truth is they might as well work on those those tools now and those skills now because in the end, we're going to be surrounded by all sorts of Christians, all sorts of people. Yeah, we'll be perfected and God will do his refining work on us. Heaven's going to be a struggle probably because you're going to be with everyone, uh, even those who you didn't enjoy on this earth who have put their faith in God. So, you know, the community is uh, ongoing and really something not only that happens in this life as a beautiful tool and a beautiful benefit to us, but it's the ultimate goal that we're in perfect community with each other mm. in heaven for all of eternity. So you think you think communion with one another or community with one another, healthy community is part of the salvation process or part of salvation picture? Well, I think just in in simplistic ways, there's there's a lot like that's where we're going to, right? Perfect community, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other. That's the end goal. That's what heaven is. And if you think about it, if you had a perfect relationship with everyone in your life, everyone you ran into, and you had a perfect relationship with God, that would be perfection. And there would be no pain and no sorrow, just like we're promised 
in scripture. But to back up a, a moment, uh, you hit on something there is that the part of the salvation process is community. I would say absolutely. All throughout the gospels, we see this amazing thing that Jesus impacts a life. He transforms a life. Oftentimes he gives them warning. Don't go and tell anyone. And I don't know if that was reverse psychology or not, but every time those people go out and what do they do? They just tell everyone. They tell their mm-hmm. friends and they and they tell everyone around them. They tell their neighbors. Uh, sometimes he doesn't give that that warning and they they do it obviously because that's the natural thing. If something amazing like that happens in your life, you want to tell people and you start with your closest your closest friends. And so really sometimes people will come up to me and say, "Hey, we need to do like uh, a revival and we need to do an event or something to get the gospel into people's hearts and minds. And and those are good things. But the truth that we see all throughout the gospel is the way that Christ had people learn what his purpose was and what he was doing was through the conversations of the community, that people's lives were impacted, transformed, and they went and they told their husband. They went and told their kids. They went and told their neighbors. And really that's an ongoing conversation to today. That as in the church setting, in our community, we have a common truth that we study each week. And then that truth should transform our lives. And then that transformation should bleed into our workspace, our classrooms, our teams. I mean, that's the place. That's the evangelism. Our evangelism happens through our our community, through the people we hang out with, to have real conversations, to tell our stories of what Christ has done. And this is not to denigrate, you know, the revival or the meetings or those strategies. But the truth is, all throughout the gospel, it's not that complex. People's lives are transformed. They hear God's word, and then they transfer it to the people that they're closest with. The truth is, I'm not going to know your friends or your family or your kids as well as you will. I might not know them at all, but that's where you come in. You're the person that they know already cares about them. So it's not going to look like a charade. It's not going to look like, oh, this is the pastor doing his job. This is your role to step in and make an impact. And they're going to listen to you because you love them. Be in community, love them and care for them and reach out to those people. We have nearing 700 members at church. And you know that each and every one of them has at least, at least 10 unique connections that the rest of us don't have. That means that right off the bat, we have 7,000 people that we interact with probably on a weekly basis. And if we just spread that message, and if the Holy Spirit worked and those people received God's gift, that we would have at the very least, even at a 10% success ratio, we would double, we would double our membership. Instantly, 700 people uh, giving their lives to Christ, being connected to the gospel message. And so absolutely, I believe that the salvation story needs to be, is expected to be uh, connected with community. I don't think that there's a single time in the gospels where somebody has an experience with Jesus and then tells Jesus, hey, you need to go talk to my brother or my friend or my spouse, which as a pa- that's a conversation that pastors have all the time. Hey, I really need you to talk to my son-in-law because he's going off the rails whatever it is and and we do see that in the gospels and then in acts as well the continuation of the holy spirit's work and the continuation of jesus's work in the church that the natural places in life that's where the gospel spread was through the natural connections you'd have a person in their whole household was baptized so the gospel uses and the word uses our natural connections in order to glorify God and to bring people into into Christ. Yeah, if I had to break it down into two things, what I what I see all throughout the New Testament is this. People made a proclamation. That was the community experience. I went home and told my wife, my son, and so forth. 
or the invitation. So this is a proclamation. I told someone, or there's the invitation, which we see with the Samaritan woman at the well. Christ tells her about the living water. She knows her life is being transformed and she goes into town and she tells everyone. So that's proclamation. But then she says, come and meet this guy. So there's the invitation. And so really in its purest form, this idea of evangelism is our stories to our community and then our invitation to the story, which means, uh, you know, to connect people to the word, invite people to the word, which in our primary means at New Life, this is our, this is what we call the row, which is our, our large group Sunday experience or Saturday experience. Uh, or you can invite them to the table. Now that's a little bit harder one to step into, but that small group setting, that life group setting where people can have those discussions and and learn the word, that's another place too. So we see proclamation. Here's a story. This is what God's doing in my life. And then invitation, come in here, come and see. If we just did those two things well, our fear of people not getting connected and things like that, like these would not be issues. And we see that all throughout the New Testament, just that simple idea of I'm going to tell you and I'm going to invite you. And if I tell and invite, I mean, you're going to see the doors fly off this building because we will not have enough room for all the people to get connected to Christ. You know, I do think that it is, uh, it's easier to invite someone to maybe having a dinner versus inviting someone to a huge intimidating church. And, uh, here at new life, we, our church is big for our area. And so if you've never been to church before and you all of a sudden you just see this huge building, it's like, I'm supposed to go there. You know, like you're inviting me there. Why? When it's, I believe it's much easier to invite someone to, hey, come over. We're going to have a few friends over. We're going to have dinner prepared for you. We're going to play some games. And then, uh, boom, they're connected. And so as we pursue and uh, as we try and uh, develop our our small groups, uh, I think it's important for us to remember the impact that that creates and the friendships that are going to come as a result of those small groups. In church strategy, what we say, the phrase that we use is, what you, what is your front door? Where, where do people come into your community? And there's a debate between two different camps that one camp says your large gathering, your worship service, that is your front door, where that is the way that you get people in. That's the place where people invite. And then there's another camp says... Your small group is the front door. And I tend to think that it really, it's a little bit more complicated than just being one or the other. Because if somebody's never been to a church service, sure. if they are completely disconnected, then mm-hmm. I think that you're right, Tim. That that's like a really uncomfortable. I mean, sure. I'm uncomfortable when I go to a new church. Yeah. Like when I'm on vacation, I just step into a new, you know, a new worship space. I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So if someone has no idea about the faith or why we do what we do, like, it's like you're, you know, you're taking me into this like theater to hear some music that isn't as good as a band that I just listened to last weekend. And you're asking me to listen to a guy lecture for 20 minutes. You know, why are you, <laughs> you know, why are you having me do that? That's weird. And so I think that it is a lot more natural to have dinner with people. But if I think if someone grew up in the church or was around church throughout their life and are disconnected with the faith and disconnected with Jesus, then that's a little bit more of a comfortable space. They sure. can come into that big group yeah, and they can be covert in that big group. And mm-hmm. so they can kind of get in and get out without any questions or with very few questions, they can kind of hide in that space and just kind of check it out. Um, but I think, so my, my solution is why not both? Yeah. Make sure that you have clear on ramps, both, you know, for your large group and your small group, group gatherings. Band. Sure. There's no one right or wrong way. Yeah. I think a lot of it too is remember that, your number one people that you're going to influence are probably a lot like you. 
That means they're yeah. your family yeah. members. They're your friends and people like that, which means if you are friends with someone, it you typically became friends with them because you like the same things, right? So maybe you're all Republican, you're all Democrat, or maybe you like certain types of music, or in high school, you all play the same sports, or, or whatever got you connected. At some point in time, it was probably a commonality, which means even over time, even if you made friends with them when you were 18 and now you're 60, the truth is you still hold a lot of things in common, which means think about yourself. Which one would you be more interested in stepping into for the first time? And that will pretty much answer the question for them too. And anything that you're excited about, they more than likely will at least tolerate, probably enjoy, or get excited about. So it really has to come down with what I'm ex- what am I excited about? Am I asking in an excitable way? And then will they step in? And I, I always compare it to this. When there's a new restaurant in town, you go and try it. If you love it, you invite someone. And uh, because they're your friend, because they have similar taste than you, you don't think that's weird. And so you bring them to that restaurant. They love it and they go and tell someone. If you hate it, obviously you don't invite them. And uh, the same way as think about your life group or the church service you attend. Tell them the things that you love about it and get them to step in. Because more than likely, what you've probably done in the past is you already started from a defeatist attitude, which means you went to them and you're like, you don't want to go to church with me, right? Uh, Pastor Ben told me to hand this card to you and you probably don't want to go. But, uh, you know, if you really want to go, I would, wouldn't be opposed to you sitting next to me. And uh, so we just start off from an attitude of you don't want to go. And then we're shocked when they say, I, I don't think I want to go because you literally answered the question for them before you asked the question. You would never do that in any other venue. Right. You would never be like, hey, I went to this restaurant and like, I think it's good, but it's probably mediocre. I mean, like, I enjoy the chicken, but you'll probably think it's dry. Absolutely not. And no. then, uh, <laughs> but I want you, I want you to come and like, the, I know the manager and he said I should invite you. So what do you think? <laughs> and of course, you're going to say no or push it off or do the polite Midwestern thing and be like, ah, oh, yeah, we should do that sometime. And then you have no intention of going. And the same way as with, with church or anything else, it's like, what do you love about New Life? Or what do you love about... Uh, your life group and tell them that say, Hey, this is what I love. I love sitting down in a group and getting rid of the facade and just being open and honest. And more than likely, if they're your friend, they're interested in that as well. Mm. And they'll be interested in stepping into that mode. Or maybe they love music. All those things create an option and an avenue to connect them with Christ, which is ultimately what we're searching for in everything we do. Yeah, because I think that I think it goes back to the authentic, inauthentic, those like natural inroads, those natural relationships that you have with people. Ben, you're you're exactly right, and I love that. I love that um, the restaurant, restaurant analogy, analogy, right? It's like, great. yeah. Because like, and also on top of that, no manager makes you feel guilty for not inviting somebody to their restaurant, or no chef does, right? But we, but pastors do that all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I think that you're right that it's using using what's already established in your life, and recognizing those things as as gifts from God, right? Like you're not, your passion as a musician or your passion as a cook or your passion as a teacher or your passion as whatever it is that you w- love to do in your life isn't separate from your faith in Jesus. But those things are actually gifts from God. And so when we see everything in that lens, then it becomes less forced to be like, hey, you should come and like do this thing that's uncomfortable for an hour and 15 minutes you know, until you can get out of here and it becomes, Hey, I'm really excited about what we're doing in this community, what what we're doing in our worship or what we're doing in our life groups or what we're doing in our ministries. And you should come and join us in that. 
it just changes the posture completely.